We're guiding you to treatment success and avoiding prostate cancer pitfalls. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Scholz. And I'm your co-host, Liz Graves. Welcome to the Prostate Pros Podcast. In past episodes, we've covered a variety of options for men with prostate cancer. This episode, we're going to consolidate some effective options that are not yet FDA approved. Liz, as you know, we've been doing this a long time, and because we only see one type of cancer, we've learned some tricks along the way. I don't think you're going to find these things in books, or at least if you do find it in books, it's going to be uh, mentioned in passing without much context. I think back to when I was volunteering over at USC to teach fellows in cancer back in 1996, and Taxotere, which is uh, one of the most effective medicines for prostate cancer, advanced prostate cancer, was just released for the treatment of lung cancer. And people were getting amazing responses for men who had lung cancer that had spread to their bones. When I heard bones, of course, a light bulb went off in my head, and I thought this might work for our prostate cancer patients. And indeed, we found that it did, and early reports from other practices as well were showing effectiveness. Interestingly, it wasn't until six or seven years later that the FDA finally approved Taxotere for prostate cancer. Throughout those years, we were using Taxotere regularly with good results, but it was not an approved therapy. When I was researching for this episode, it was really hard for me to find information about this. You Google off-label therapy, alternative medicine, there are tons of ads. You can't really figure out, like, how would I know if a lung cancer drug would work for prostate cancer? How do people find this information? I think this is sort of insider knowledge. Uh, There are specialists throughout the country that uh, narrowly treat one type of disease, and they talk, and they meet at meetings, and they, they share their insights. And in a clinic where there's a high volume of patients, you can quickly determine if something actually works. Uh, you'll know within a few months, uh, usually within three or four weeks even, after you start Taxotere, if the PSA is dropping and the bone scans are improving. It is insider knowledge, and it doesn't get published, unfortunately, sometimes for years. Um, there were small phase two trials coming out about Taxotere, but it took six or seven years before the phase three trials led to FDA approval of Taxotere in prostate cancer. So this can be frustrating for patients because there are patients who are starting to run out of options, or maybe they're not liking the side effect profile, and they really need to find these alternative options. Yeah, of course, the online forums are really helpful for patients, and the uh, uh, internet is a great resource. I mean, to illustrate, we've had patients that couldn't tolerate every three-week taxatera. I remember a patient who uh, came to me with a PSA over 1,000, and we gave him a standard Q3-week dose of taxatera, 70, uh, 70 milligrams per meter squared, and he just felt so terrible, he refused to take any further treatment. Uh, we finally talked him into taking a much smaller dose on a weekly basis, which was not in the original format for um, the way taxatera was used. And Quite surprisingly, he tolerated that nicely. His PSA ended up dropping down to less than one. He had a multi-year remission and unfortunately, down the line, developed colon cancer and passed away from that. He survived his prostate cancer for many years. 
So again, weekly taxitarian, small doses for men that can't seem to tolerate the larger doses uh, is uh, something that's not talked about much anymore, but is just as effective as getting the larger dose every three weeks. What other types of drugs are you using in an off-label way? Well, until recently, we were using Olaparib, which is a BRCA medicine uh, approved for ovarian cancer. But thankfully, the FDA just approved Olaparib. And uh, this is now available for people that have the BRCA mutation. Another medicine that is, I think, widely known on in uh, inner circles in prostate cancer is a medicine called carboplatin. It's an injectable type of chemotherapy that's FDA approved for the treatment of lung cancer. And it synergizes with Taxotere and Taxotere's cousin, Jeftana. And we've seen a number of men who've become resistant to Taxotere when they have carboplatin added in small weekly doses, a couple hundred milligrams, uh, turn around and respond again. Quality of life is good. Usually it's a weekly or every other week infusion. So these medicines are um, effective, but you may not hear about them. And it's certainly uh, not something that's, quote, FDA approved, and uh, it flies under the radar. Off-label drugs can be drugs used that are already approved for other cancers, or they can be drugs that are approved for a different stage of the same cancer. Can you talk a little bit about how Zytiga and Extandi can be used in an off-label way? So both of those medicines are FDA-approved for men with more advanced stages of prostate cancer. They're both well-tolerated, and they're certainly effective. It's a artifice the way the FDA approves drugs for one stage of a disease and then uh, refuses to approve it for another stage until studies prove that it's effective. It's the same disease. We know it's going to be effective. So men that have what we call high-risk prostate cancer, uh, in my Keto Prostate Cancer book, we talk about the azure stage. These are men that have Gleason 8 or 9, PSAs above 20, or maybe seminal vesicle invasion or lymph node spread. Serious cancer. But Zytiga and Extandi, oral medicines that are commonly used for advanced prostate cancer, are uh, sometimes covered by insurance, sometimes not, because it's called off-label. And these medicines are known to be effective against very advanced cancer. Why wouldn't they be effective against an earlier stage of a more serious type of cancer? So we often talk with our patients who are usually getting treatment with radiation and Lupron for 12 months, sort of 12 to 18 months, sort of a standard approach. Uh, why wouldn't we give the best available hormone medicine, which is either Extandi or, or uh, Zytiga, to enhance the cure rates? Studies are ongoing and... Perhaps sometime in the future, this will be the standard approach, but right now it's considered off-label. So off-label drugs deviate from the standard of care, and the standard of care is how all of the insurance companies know what drugs can be paid for for certain patients. The standard of care is determined by the NCCN guidelines. And these are consensus-driven management to ensure that all patients get optimal outcomes. So insurance companies look at those and decide, yes, we will pay for this specific medicine and this specific patient. Yes, and doctors follow these uh, criteria as well. The general oncologists are getting so busy with over 100 different cancers. They really need guidelines to know 
what's the next step? If one medicine stops working, what should they do uh, to follow? And, and, and these guidelines then become sort of like the Bible, and uh, thinking outside the box sometimes is discouraged, even in clinical circles. In a previous podcast episode, we've talked about high-risk prostate cancer, and a couple things that are not chemotherapy that we talked about in an off-label way are metformin and statins. I'm glad you brought that up, Liz, because these medicines are really relatively non-toxic. It's unusual for people to have to stop them because of side effects. The studies that have been done aren't phase three studies, but the phase two studies that exist seem to show a big advantage. For some reason, metformin, which is FDA approved for the treatment of blood sugar issues, and the statin drugs like Lipitor and Crestor, which are FDA approved for people with high cholesterol, also seem to give better outcomes when it's combined with hormone therapy and radiation. Another issue that's not going to come up as standard fare, but if I was in this sort of a situation with high-risk prostate cancer, I would make sure I was taking these medicines until proven otherwise. They're affordable and they're non-toxic. One thing I did find in my research was about clinical trials. Clinical trials can be really difficult to look into, but if you look into them and you find a drug that's being used, even if you're not eligible to use it, it can be a great place to start talking about with your doctor. Because clinical trials are researching other FDA-approved drugs, which means your doctor can write a prescription for the drug without you having to be involved in the clinical trial. For those of you who are eligible for for clinical trials, that's easy access to get off-label drugs. One drug that's in a ton of clinical trials right now is Keytruda, but I hear you all the time prescribing this to patients. What's going on? Keytruda's the miraculous medicine that kept President Carter alive after his melanoma had spread to the brain. And when you talk about clinical trials, Merck Pharmaceuticals is studying it in probably 10 to 20 different cancer types, including prostate cancer. But Merck has been very generous Uh, and distributing this same medicine on a compassionate use basis, which means that we've only had to ask Merck Pharmaceuticals for the drug for our prostate cancer patients, and they've been providing it free of charge, which is no small thing. It's a very, very expensive medicine. Keytruda is an immune-stimulating medicine that's infused every three weeks and has activity in prostate cancer, not yet FDA-approved, But we have uh, performed our own phase two trial, and about half the patients seem to either get PSA stabilization or decline. It's uh, fascinating medicine because it works by stimulating the immune system. And in some patients, uh, that effect continues even after the medicine is discontinued. If you want to learn more about Keytruda, listen to our episode about immunotherapy. While we're talking about immune therapies, we should also cover leukine, which is GMCSF, a medicine that was originally FDA-approved to help people getting chemotherapy um, keep their immune systems strong. Over time, it was noted that some people were getting declines in PSA with this medicine. Dr. Eric Smallup at UCSF did some of the early phase two trials. Uh, leukine was also very popular with Charles Snuffy Myers, who was a prostate maven uh, who retired a couple of years ago. Leukine is given by an injection like an insulin shot. Um, we do it three times a week, 
And it uh, oftentimes has no side effects at all. It may cause some chills or some rashes sometimes. But for men that have rising PSAs after surgery and are really reluctant to do hormone therapy or radiation, leukine has achieved stabilization of PSA sometimes for years. So I don't think it'll ever get FDA approved, but it is something to think about for men that have rising PSAs, we call the indigo category, uh, that are really reluctant to consider using Lupron or Firmagon. Dr. Scholz, it sounds like you're very creative with all of this, and you have a lot of experience seeing patients and offering these options. But what do patients do that can't come see you? I think the safest thing is to uh, visit a reputable university center where they're doing clinical trials. Uh, This is where a lot of the new medicines are developed, and the um, uh, universities have what are called institutional review boards to make sure that what they're doing is ethical. The problem with universities is sometimes they're constrained by only those clinical trials. So if you don't fit the profile of their exact um, clinical trial that they're offering, they may feel a little nervous about offering you something creative. But the oversight and the professional collegiality that's at the universities generally uh, leads to a uh, cut above in the physician quality. And, of course, they do have access to some of these new medicines that aren't FDA-approved yet. You can search clinicaltrials.gov to find these trials going on and find a way to search for more off-label options. The logical next topic to follow this up with are alternative, integrative, and natural options. But as we're running out of time, we'll talk about it on the next episode. If you have any questions about alternative therapies, you still have time to email us before the next podcast. You can send your questions to podcast at prostateoncology.com. Remember to help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Hi, everyone. This is Alex with the Prostate Cancer Research Institute. Every year, we host our Prostate Cancer Patients and Caregivers Conference, and usually that is in person. But this year, it's going to be virtual and free. On September 11th and 12th, we will have prostate cancer experts speaking on treatments, side effects, and lifestyle issues. There will be live Q&A with our doctors and our helpline team, as well as awesome giveaways. Visit our website, pcri.org, to RSVP today.